I saw a meme on Facebook the other day. It said, if you ever get lost in the woods, just start talking about politics. Someone will find you to argue with you. Yeah, our society is getting angrier and angrier. But what role does social media play in this change? Is it time that we all rethink the value of social media? And then we have to think about the money train. You may think that advertising runs the internet, but the big data behind it is where the real profits come from. We're being followed around all the time and tracked on our phones, watches, tablets, cars, smart speakers, and then a multitude of other gadgets and gizmos and devices. And all that data is collected, and it's really what truly has built billions of dollars for these tech companies. But at what price? I mean, think about this. If big tech can cash in on our personal data, why can't we? What if I told you that a small family could earn some real money off of their data if only they charged big tech? All right, these are some ideas that our guest on this podcast is bringing to light. In 2018, Jaron Lanier was named one of the 25 most influential people in the previous 25 years of tech history by Wired Magazine. He's also been named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine, top 100 public intellectuals in the world by Foreign Policy Magazine, and he's one of history's 300 greatest inventors in Encyclopedia Britannica. All right, he's super smart, and you and I are both so lucky that he carved out some time to talk to us about this social media life that we're all living. So stay right where you are. You definitely don't want to miss a moment of this. So, Jaron, thanks so much for being here. I was watching the, I guess you'd say, docudrama on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. And I'm sitting there with my husband and my son, and we're like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's Jaron. Jaron is on The Social Dilemma. And that's when I wanted to really do a deep dive with you more about specifically your book, because you have this fantastic book, 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. Um, And just diving into number one. Obviously, social media can manipulate your behavior, you say, putting your free will under threat. Um, interesting example that you use with dog versus cat memes. Can you <laughs> elaborate on that? Well, you know, one of my cats is nearby and might show up to weigh in on this. But um, I'm fascinated by cats because cats are unlike most domesticated animals, they are still able to survive in the wild. They live with us, but they are not dependent on us in the way that a cow is or even a dog. And so uh, what's going on with that? The, the usual theory is that they domesticated themselves or half domesticated themselves, but they've never really lost their wild spirit. And I want people to be like that. I want people to be successfully domesticated so we can live together in societies and not be at at each other's throats all the time and not be idiots. But at the same time, I don't want us to lose our independence and our wildness. I don't want us to become just parts of a machine. And cats have proven that that's possible. Cats are a species that achieved exactly that, which is my fond hope for humankind. And I believe that that's exactly why cats are so popular on the internet. I think that cats are a symbol of this wildness and freedom that we really don't have to lose in order to be modern and technological, even though if it sometimes seems like we do. And dogs just don't have that type of draw on the internet. Is it because of the algorithms? 
I mean, no, there's a lot of cute dogs on the internet. And I really want to emphasize this is not an anti-dog. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm so glad you said that because I have on my foot is my two-year-old golden retriever, Abby, who's just looking at me like, please say that he, that he loves goldens. Please say that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't I don't think it says anything negative about dogs or for that matter, many other domesticated animals that they're more fully domesticated than cats. It just happens to be their identity. Um, I have had a lot of very intense relationships with domesticated animals. I, I paid for my education with a goat herd. I had my own cheese brand. And all. <laughs> I, I used to have like a crazy close thing going with my goats where I'd play music for them and I house trained them and could call them into the house one by one. And I'm talking about dozens of goats twice a day uh, to get milked. And, you know, it's there's nothing um, there's there, there's nothing lessened about a domesticated animal at all it's just that i don't want people to to be one of those species you know yeah <laughs> no i mean and that, you know what you're exactly right i mean we need to have free will we need to be able to not have some entity or big tech or whoever it is control our thoughts and just because we liked one thing doesn't mean that we just only want to see that other thing and if you would just a little bit i don't think a lot of people realize how social media does really manipulate our behavior. So mm. if you, you could talk a little bit about that for the average Joe and Jane who's hanging out on Facebook eight hours a day and wondering <laughs> why they're seeing the same thing, you know? Yeah, you know, it's actually not that hard. But the thing is, when it's being done to you, it's almost impossible to perceive it. So it's it's a really simple thing, but it's really sneaky. So this is an idea that goes back to the 19th century called behaviorism, which is if you want to train an animal or a person, instead of get, be developing a relationship with that that creature the way a dog trainer would or something, instead you just do it straight by a sterile algorithm. There's an al algorithm that's logging exactly what the creature that you want to train does whenever a certain stimulus is given to that creature and then um, reinforces behavior patterns. So, for instance, in the old days, it was you'd get candy for doing what the algorithm wanted you to do and you'd get an electric shock for not doing what the algorithm wanted you to do. And these days, instead, it's a social... Um, social perks and social humiliation are the substitutes for candy and electric shocks. And everybody who's online goes back and forth between these negative and positive experiences. And th the behavior that animals are trained to initially, uh, and this is called a Skinner box, uh, named after a, 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 late, a behaviorist uh, in the early mid 20th century named B.F. Skinner. They, they would press a button to indicate that they're being trained and these days it's the like button or similar on, on Facebook or other platforms and um, it's a it's an interesting science because it's not as straightforward as you might think like for instance if you only reward people when they do exactly what you want them to do and punish them when in the other case uh, it actually doesn't work as well as if you make it a little looser and, and you, you put in delays and a little bit of randomness uh, the reason for that is that the brain is drawn to a mystery. The brain is trying to figure out what do I have to do to get the candy or to get, you know, the social strokes, the followers or whatever, or the positive uh, feedback. And uh, 
uh, the, the fact that it's inconsistent actually draws the brain in more. So uh, a lot of these tricks from behaviorism simply made their way into the algorithms to drive engagement that companies like Facebook use. Uh, so it's actually like a simple trick. It's nothing fancy. And I should mention that it's not like the Facebook people were sitting there saying, oh, we're going to copy B.F. Skinner and use the same tricks that he used rats and doves. It's more that they had these algorithms that just kept on morphing themselves, adjusting until they worked better. And the algorithms on their own kind of found the same solution because it's the obvious one. So can you ever just – can you trick the algorithm? Can you say like, for example – I'm going to start doing X, Y, or Z to make the algorithm think that I'm not interested, or is it, or are there just too many data points that this company has on us that we just, that we can't skew it? Well, it's a very crude and rough and statistical and gradual technology. So on a case-by-case basis, you can kind of screw with it a little bit, but in the, the, the problem is that it's dealing with hundreds of millions of people at a time. And overall, on average, it'll kind of plow through and get to you. Uh, But it's certainly manipulable. I mean, look, um, one of the sad things about this technique is bad actors have an easier time manipulating it than good actors. Like if somebody said, hey, I want to add content to Facebook and add fake accounts to Facebook just to try to make people kinder and more decent with each other, that person would have a much harder time than somebody who says, hey, I want people to become more paranoid, more divided, more irritable, more angry, and all that. That The, the, the bad actor has a much, much easier time. Wow, that's really fascinating, isn't it? I mean, think about this. You can't trick the algorithm that much. Bad actors have an easier time manipulating it than good actors. So you're probably thinking, like I am, why? Why is it so easy for us to be manipulated in the first place? Okay, we're going to dive into that next. And we're also going to be answering the question, if you were to charge big tech to use your data so that they can make money off of your data, how much money could you really make? We'll be right back with more Tech You Should Know. All right, welcome back to Tech You Should Know. Jared, we were talking about how easy it is for bad actors to work with the algorithms and good actors and how this all affects social media. Why is that? So it turns out that um, the brain is not like a neutral computer. Instead, uh, our brains evolved in circumstances um, in which certain things were true. Like one of the things that's been true, not just for our brains, but for most largish animals, uh, that we have more to worry about from other people and other other members of our species than we do from nature. Uh, we have to worry about whether someone will attack us or um, all kinds of things like that. And so uh, we have an amazing capacity. If you've ever spoken to an audience, you can like be checking out the emotions and the intention of like hundreds of people at a time. It's an incredible innate capacity that people have. Now, the thing is that there's special circuits physically, genetically <laughs> built into our brains and the brains of a lot of other species called the fight or flight responses, which are really quick sure. ways to respond when other people are getting weird or aggressive around us. And uh, so the thing is, because those are our fast responses and because 
our, our response to these things are dramatic. When the algorithms are looking for what increases our engagement, what gets a rise out of us, they naturally find those responses that come from the fight or flight circuits. And so that means that if you're trying to make people paranoid and irritable and xenophobic and all that stuff, you have a much easier time doing that by creating manipulations on Facebook than if you want to do anything else, because it just happens to be really strong, quick, built-in circuits in people. And now the thing is, if you look at behavior overall, the other circuits for empathy and kindness and intelligence and consideration and planning and all that stuff are just as strong. It's just that they don't come up as fast, so the algorithms don't catch them as easily. So give us an example of, of somebody seeing that happen in real time on Facebook. What might they see or on Twitter or any of the other sites? Well, we have a few well-documented examples. Um, for instance, Facebook's own researchers famously published a study in which they show that they could make people just depressed, make them feel bad in mass in large numbers without the people understanding how or why it was happening. And this was Facebook's own peer-reviewed published research sometime back. They've stopped doing that sort of thing. But you might ask, why would they brag about that? And the reason why is for them, it's a way of selling their services. It convinces their advertisers that they run the brains of the world. And so how could you not advertise on them? So for them, it was a good thing. Um, uh, another political example that came up is in the previous presidential election, um, there were Oh, God, there's so many examples. Uh, there, there, there was an effort to suppress the black vote. Um, partially, we now know from Russian actors and partially not. But the interesting thing about it is, A, it kind of worked. Uh, some of the uh, it was done mostly through fake accounts in order to seed um, a certain kind of content into the network. And, and uh, here's why that's important. A, a friend of mine at Facebook has told me that recently the percentage of new accounts on Facebook that are for real people is maybe 1% and, and perhaps 99% wow. are fake accounts. Now, the reason that there are such an overwhelming number of fake accounts is as soon as you have a fake person, a bot, that bot can start to express interests that essentially program Facebook's own algorithm for what it will then send to the real people. So in a sense, the bots become a way of programming Facebook. Uh, that's so that's why you see such an incredible effort to put in fake people. And and so what you get is you get fake uh, black activists. There was one called Blacktivist. That's a famous one that then starts spewing out stuff that's like, oh, the vote doesn't matter. You know, these people don't care about you anyway. And, blah, blah, blah. and so you suppress the vote. And then the thing is, it starts getting reflected in the algorithm where the algorithm is saying, wow, there are a lot of people who care about this stuff. So it starts amplifying it more and more, even though those were fake people to start with, but eventually it gets to the real people. And yeah, it, it, it has an effect statistically, like it has like a 1% effect or something like that. But then if you just do that, it's a compound interest. It starts to just darken society. It starts to make everybody a little more cynical. And uh, it, it, you know, it does have a cumulative effect. So it's not a very strong technology, but it's just persistent and pervasive. And so it ends up having an effect anyway. So that's really fascinating. I mean, so if the bots can program the algorithms and the algorithms are obviously programmed by people, right? Eventually, or somewhere <laughs> Not, along the road. Well, sort of. I mean, it's a big collaboration between face, Facebook engineers and like Russian hackers who are getting bots to input data. So it's it's like a it's a big collaborative thing that nobody really fully is in control of, and nobody fully understands, and nobody really fully takes responsibility for. 
So, so Facebook can't go in there and determine. I mean, if they can determine that I like, uh, you know, a spinach salad with, you know, balsamic vinaigrette, right? Why can't they figure out that these are bots and they need to be deleted? Well, you know, at this point, I have to confess that there's my expertise starts to become a little foggy because Facebook is a black box. We, we have learned a lot about it. They revealed some, some has been leaked and whatnot, and some has been inferred. But ultimately, we don't see what they're doing. We don't see their data. We don't see their algorithm. We don't, we don't sit in on their meetings. And so it's hard to really know for sure. Uh, my guess is that... Um, Oh, God. I mean, there's a few things to say here. One is Facebook doesn't really have a financial incentive to clean up its act because all of its money is based on advertisers at least believing it controls everybody's minds, you know, and so uh, that belief drives their business in part. Um, It's uh, so there's a if they became less manipulative and more transparent, it might undermine that system, that particular scam, I suspect that a lot of their advertisers think that there's more power in the algorithms of Facebook than there really is. I think a lot of it is just the force of scale at this point. Uh, but it does still have an effect in the way I described. Um, it's just, it's it's kind of crude stuff. It's not really that fancy, in my opinion, or to, to the best of my knowledge. Um, But, uh, you know, could Facebook do more? It seems like they could. Um, The example everyone points to is the the social media companies got together to shut down Islamic terrorist recruiting a while back, and it seemed to really make a difference. Uh, They've also uh, been helpful with child pornography and trafficking. So, like, when they really, really want to, it seems like they can can maybe do something. But... uh, the general political misinformation and societal manipulation might be harder to deal with because it's just so big and so pervasive. You know, you have an you have another argument in this book. And mm-hmm. if you go back like when we were growing up, I mean, I remember my parents and their friends, you know, sitting around the kitchen discussing politics and they were all very nice to each other. I mean, they would say, you know, I like this candidate for these reasons or I like this candidate for that reasons. And, you know, nobody really like started throwing jabs at each other in bars and calling somebody a dummy or whatever. So (laughs) one of your arguments is social media can turn people into well, I can't really say what it is, but let's just say we've all seen them. They're they're mean. They're argumentative. They aren't really who they would be if you saw them face-to-face over a cup of coffee at Starbucks mm-hmm. because the, suddenly they think – I have seen this myself. They get, behind, they get in front of a screen and they think, well, I can – you know, suddenly I'm this big brown bear and I'm just going to go in there and, and get everybody or they become mm-hmm. anonymous trolls. So why is that? Well, I think it's because the algorithms are stimulating the fight-or-flight responses so much that they come more to the fore and they become more pronounced. I mean, this aspect of people has always been there and has uh, been you know, easily observable in many instances in history, in our, in our culture and politics. However, um, there is something different now, which is this constant personalized stimulation of it in mass for billions of people in the world at once has resulted in a similar kind of, um, I would call it a toddler-like 
angry, silly politics all over the world at once. You know, that kind of politics has always existed. It's existed in every country at one time or another. But to have it all come up at once right after Facebook arrives is different. And it's because of Facebook. And it, you also talk about how social media is destroying our empathy. I see that really with a lot of people that are a younger generation, that they may not necessarily have the ability to communicate empathy because they've been doing this their whole lives through texting and through the screen. And, you know, having that face-to-face real-life communication, and yeah, I know we're, we are in a pandemic, and so that's really hard, but... I do see that, and I agree with you, that social media is destroying that, too, because people are so quick just to throw out an opinion or a comment without really giving much thought to what that other person could be feeling inside. Well, I have a couple of things to say about this. One is, I think that if you could have social media without the commercial incentives to be tricking everybody all the time and doing uh, doing this kind of behavior modification algorithm on them social media actually could be a good thing for empathy it's a lot of why the internet was invented and i still think it it has a chance i can give you two pieces of evidence for that one is um during the pandemic uh i can say at least anecdotally and with a little bit of data that a lot of kids have had to change their use of the internet from being passive of receiving the feed to being active of planning when to connect over video and that that shift from being passive to active active makes them more cat-like. It makes them more independent and less um, less uh, passive, you know, le- le- less programmed. And so I think that there's actually a bit of hope, a little bit of a silver lining on what we've seen from kids' behavior during the pandemic. And the other thing I want to say is whenever there's a, no- a new social media platform, it's early year or two or three before it gets into the advertising business model and starts making money by screwing with people's heads. In those early years, you often see... A, a, a different kind of behavior that's actually better, uh, which once again indicates to me that it's it's the behavior mod algorithm, not the idea of social media itself, that's the problem. Like the early the earliest year of Twitter was kind of innocent and better. Uh, the early year or two of TikTok ha- has been, you know, better and kind of innocent and Snap. And there, there's actually a bunch of other examples. And so it's it's really the combination of the business model and uh, evil algorithm that's the problem. It is an interesting take that the algorithm is to blame and not social media itself. And this algorithm exists for a reason, to collect your data and make money for the advertisers, big tech, and the social media platforms. So how much is your data really worth? You're going to be so surprised. When we come back, Jared and I are going to discuss that idea. So before we head into the break, I want you to think, answer this question. Just answer it out loud. Just scream it at the top of your lungs if you're driving along or if you're walking, whatever it may be, and then everybody will think you're crazy anyway. But just answer this question out loud. How much do you think you should be able to charge for you and your family's data? Stick around. You don't want to miss the answer. This is such a great podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with us. So welcome back. Okay, Jared, you know, one of your thoughts too, and we've talked about this before um, for the television show, was that we give up a lot of our information, our personal data for free. And the, uh, in turn, these companies are profiting off of our data. Now, mm-hmm. your thought was 
maybe we should be charging these companies for our yeah. Yeah, you know, you'd make more money than you think. A lot of people think, well, that would only be pennies, but I don't think so. I don't think so. When you have these trillion-dollar companies, you know, it's basically your data that is their asset. You you are their product that that gives them that value, and that's get there's that's getting to be real money. That's not play money anymore. Now, there's a couple of reasons this is important. One is. Um, the robots are coming, the AI programs are coming, and if we can establish a principle that people get paid for their data, then the more robots there are, the more jobs there are, because there'll be this whole new class of people who are coming up with cool data to drive robots in interesting ways, like uh, gardeners who provide examples for gardening robots or something. So instead of people being thrown out of work, they'll have new work. So that's one really important principle. But beyond that, it gives the big tech companies a different business model. Uh, so here's the thing. We know that people, enough people are willing to pay subscription fees to get access to video and other stuff, video games, all kinds of things, just because it actually is a better experience than pirating it, than, than figuring out a way to get it for free. That's why Netflix exists. It's the only reason Netflix exists. And so if we start to just apply that principle to things like search and social networking, people might complain at first and say, oh, my God, like, you know, why am I having to pay for something that used to be free? On the other hand, you'll be making money through it because you'll be getting paid for your data and get instead of getting stolen from. But even better, there'll be a different business model that doesn't continuously give them an incentive to trick you, and that'll make the whole world brighter and better, and you'll be happier. And so there's almost like a priceless benefit to that. So that's why I want people to get paid. I want to I want to bring in a little bit more market capitalism to make the world <laughs> How about that? How about that? I'd like that, Jaron. I do. Um, yeah. How, how much could a family of four make? Say, you know, mom, dad, and a couple of kids, and a dog, and a cat. At the present time, you know, it's very hard to say because this wouldn't be dictated by some central authority. It would be based on market demand because your data would then be used for things you'd get royalties from. And just to be clear, before somebody says, but you're going to incentivize the poor to sell all their data. No, no, no. You have a moral right to your data. You can never sell it. All you can do is license it, and you'll do it through some kind of union or intermediary that will fight for your rights. So, uh, But anyway, um, the rough the rough estimate now is thirty thousand uh, dollars, given today's level of technical activity. There's something like that being stolen from a family, um, and it's not being stolen in the sense that it's a funny thing. It's not that Facebook has thirty thousand dollars that should be yours. It's more that the overall economy is not fully on the books. A whole bunch of it is is forced into this weird barter economy where it's not accounted for. So if the true economy was revealed. We think it would be something like that at this time. But the gardening robots haven't arrived yet, so it'll become more and more over time. <laughs> you know, So uh, there'll be more and more kinds of robots and more and more kinds of AI programs, and each one of them should be generating money for the people who provided the data without which the thing wouldn't exist. Okay. okay. You know, you have to backtrack because I will never forget when you were talking to me about the gardening robots because our <laughs> first conversation was about how AI and robots are taking over the world and all these people are freaking out that they're going to have to get new careers. But you gave the example of if there was a robot that could be able to cut the trees and the hedges or whatever it is, that the robot would have to be trained by a human, correct? 
By a mass of humans. That's what AI is. AI is taking a bunch of example data from a zillion people and doing a big statistical conglomeration of it and then using that to drive a robot or an algorithm. And, you know, but let's get back to social media. So let's say I because there are people out there. I know they're listening right now. They can't get off of Facebook. They can't get off of Twitter or Pinterest or Parler or whatever it is or Snap or Instagram, you know. And yeah. because they really enjoy the interaction, they think this is a good way for them to communicate with their families. And I will tell you, I mean, I don't go on any social media. Um, I gave it up a few years ago. Yes, I do have a presence on there, but it's done by people on the team who take care of it for me. Mm-hmm. And I really don't miss it. But I have missed parties. I will tell you that because people will be like, how come you didn't come to the party? I invited you on Facebook. I'm like, "Hmm, well, you know, obviously, you know, didn't make it because I didn't see the invite or what have you. But what do you tell people who just can't get off of social media? Well, look, I mean, what I say like multiple times in the book is I'm not claiming to really know what's best for anybody else. I'm presenting the arguments for getting off it that I can't really – decide for somebody else what's the right decision for them. I do want people to at least think about it. If somebody's life or career really depends on them having accounts with these companies, of course I'm not going to tell them they have to get off it. I don't think sacrificing yourself or making yourself a martyr or screwing yourself up accomplishes anything for anybody. So it's a very individual decision. I want you to think about it critically so that at least you know the trade-off you're making and you're not pretending that using this stuff comes without a cost to you because it does. It might be an acceptable cost for you. It might be a cost you can manage and, and something that you feel on balance is okay. I, I, I am not here to judge you. I absolutely refuse to do that. It would be ridiculous, but um, at least think, at least think about it. Don't, don't, you know, don't be a sheep, be a cat, you know, think about, <laughs> you know, sniff this thing out. <laughs> uh, and uh, that, you know, that, that's, that's my best advice to people. Um, I, um, I mean, does it does it help, Jaron? Though, I mean, are there things that people can do? I mean, to limit the manipulation and the control that the social media well, companies and the algorithms have when they are using the site. This is something I'm asked all the time, and the problem is that the sites are evolving all the time, and the trick is shifting slightly from time to time. The scam is always in in, in evolution, and so it's very hard to give specific advice. Um, one thing is uh, put as many privacy plugins and whatnot as you can. Try to make try to use a path to get to whatever it is that's a little unconventional. Like use the unpopular browser, use the unpopular device. Um, if you you know it just screws up the algorithms a bit because they're too lazy to really support everything. Um, try to. Um, If you can, try to have maybe some different identities so you can see some different perspectives and see how things vary. Um, If you have a strong feeling in your heart that I'm really pissed off at people who are sympathetic with one political party or the other, or I'm really unsympathetic with people who are from another place or look different, if anything like that is going on with you... um, Try to take a minute. Just take a minute because you're being manipulated. You, you know, you really are being tricked. Those are those are feelings that are kind of implanted by 
the manipulation of fight or flight reflexes and they're you're really those those emotions don't serve you they serve someone else who's manipulating you and i just and 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 that goes equally well for the left or the right the red or the blue or for anybody there's just a lot of trickery out there that comes from making people irritable and kind of tribal these days and just try to find try to find some way to reduce that in yourself for your own good for the nation's good for the world's good and for the world your kids will inherit you know yeah and just take a break every once in a while you know i mean oh yeah well that's the the break idea is a really good one some people do that i i have found talking to a lot of people um it's sort of like dieting doesn't really work. And there's a lot of kinds of things like it where if you try to censor yourself or punish yourself or say, oh, this thing I want to do is bad. I just won't do it. Somehow that always comes back to bite you. I Instead of doing that, I mean, I think that's all great. For those people who can make a sort of a media fast work and create a Sabbath as the ancients did, a day a week where you're just not on, that's great. But for a lot of people, you'll find that you're cheating on that and I, I think just putting it in positive terms, like find that place in yourself that isn't so angry, that isn't so paranoid, that isn't so tribal, that isn't so conspira- conspiracy theory vulnerable. You know, just try to try to, in a way, I guess what I have to say is that your relationship with the world at large, like your ideas about politics and science, should be kind of boring find your excitement in art and in your relationships and so forth. Don't, don't, you know, like, like try so that, so I'm trying to frame it in terms of what to seek instead of what to, what to avoid. No, so, so, yeah, think, so, yeah, but that, and that's really good because, you know, then it becomes more, like you said, it becomes more of a positive, not a negative. Mm-hmm. I mean, so instead of maybe because you're bored and you go on to Facebook because you've got nothing else to do, and you're looking up somebody who you don't really know and you don't really care about, you know, find something that is more personally fulfilling to you. Maybe it's going out for a walk and having an aha moment in nature or finding that song that you liked when you were a teenager and listening to it once again to relive some good memories. Yeah, I mean, it'll be different for each person. And, you know, living life well is hard. Um we're in a reality that's challenging and so don't get down on yourself if it takes a while and it's tricky or seems mysterious at first but just you gotta find your own joy and not live for the sake of someone else and when you're taking on the angers and fears of internet driven phenomena you're living for the benefit of somebody else like live for yourself everything everybody will get better off Jaron, thanks for joining us on Tech You Should Know. If you're looking for more podcasts like this, give my national radio show podcast a try. You can get it along with three months' worth of archives over at getkim.com. Now, here's the deal. You get 30 days for free, and after that, it's just a few dollars a month. And we offer discounts for military vets, seniors, and service personnel. It's a small business, and we certainly need your support, especially now more than ever. That address, again, is getkim.com. Plus, with your membership, you also get our social media platform. We don't sell your data. You can make friends, join a group, and post your tech questions 24-7. The address, again, is getkim.com. And a special thanks to Mike James and Cassie Taylor for putting this podcast together. They do such an excellent job. And a big thanks to you. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, if you learned just one thing, give us a nice five-star rating and then write something nice about us wherever you get your podcasts. This helps more people find our podcast because, you know, ratings seem to drive the entire internet. I'm Kim Commando, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.